Hi friends, welcome to Wild Hearts with Janine. I'm Janine, the host of this podcast, and you're tuning into episode 15 of Wild Hearts. Now, episode 15 was originally supposed to be episode 14, but if you've been following along with me, you probably know that that audio file got corrupted while I was in London when I was supposed to set it to go live. So, we're doing this a little retroactively, and now I welcome you to episode 15, which is a travel Q&A. You probably know that I have spent the last two years traveling. I spent about nine months traveling all around Europe, and then the rest of the time traveling around the States, staying with friends and family, and or just solo traveling on my own. And it has been a lot of fun, really challenging, and really beautiful. And I've grown a lot, which has been really great. And with that, you guys have sent me questions through email, Instagram messages. And so what I've decided to do is a travel Q&A. So I've compiled a lot of your guys' questions. There have been so many, and I cannot wait to answer them for you. But first, let me just give you a little life update. So I took a break for summer from the podcast because I was in Europe, and I was working on some other projects, as well as enjoying my travels and spending time with friends and family on that side of the world. And then in the last two months, I ended up spending some time getting ready to move back to the United States, and more specifically, back to Nashville. So yeah, let me kind of explain, because this might come as a little bit of a surprise to all of us. I was in Europe. I was in the UK specifically for four months. It was a very different trip than the previous year's trip to Europe had been, because I spent a lot longer chunks of my time in the cities I visited, like at least a week in each place. Um, And even the last five weeks I was there, I was only in London. It felt a lot more immersive, I guess is the best way to say it. Like I was living life in those places, and it was a great lesson to learn. So yeah, I literally just moved back to Nashville last week. In a turn of events that almost nobody, including myself, saw coming, the sweetest rental opportunity presented itself back in late June. My friend Whitney um, posted on her Instagram stories that she was going to be moving to pursue some of her own travel dreams, like hosting group trips, actually. She's pretty amazing, and I'll link to her in the show notes so you guys can check her out. And she was hoping to find someone great to take over her rental space, and get this, she was hoping to find someone who might also want to adopt the majority of her furniture. Cue a light bulb going off in my head because when I left Nashville two years ago, I sold or donated pretty much all of my furniture. Everything I kept fit in my Prius, so I didn't keep very much before I moved back to California a few years ago. I was quite intrigued by what she was saying, to say the least, and so I reached out, and within two or three days, I had chatted with Whitney, talked to her landlord, And by the end, had a verbal agreement to move in in September. And hi, it's the middle of September. Even then, I was like, what the heck just happened? It was so quick, but it happened. (laughs) And it was a huge sigh of relief to know that not only did I have a place to land post-Europe, but also that it was going to be my very own place, like just me. I've always dreamed of living on my own, but really never thought it would be feasible financially. And then this little godsend of a space seemed to just fall right into my lap. And I am, wow, so overwhelmed, so grateful, and so glad to be here. (laughs) After two years of nomading my way around the U.S. and Europe, you wouldn't believe, honestly, how desperate I felt toward the end to have a space of my own. And after witnessing and receiving from so many generous, hospitable, and kind human beings over the last two years, I can't wait to do the same. So yeah, I arrived into Nashville just a week ago with my grandma in tow, may I add, because she joined me for the road trip, which was a lot of fun. 
Also, if you're doing the math and you've been following along for a while, that was my third time driving across the country in the last seven months. Y'all, it has been a wild ride. Okay, so that's a really long intro, but I wanted to keep you guys up to date. Now I think it's time to move on to your travel questions. So let's do it. You guys sent me in some really great questions about traveling, so I've compiled them as well as some commonly asked questions that slide into my DMs from time to time, and I tried to organize them by topics. So we have money and budgeting, solo traveling, travel safety, transit and lodging, other travel tips, and then just some of my recommendations. I've written a few blogs in the past um, that are really full of tips and tricks, so I'll reference some of those while answering your questions, and I've also linked to them in the show notes. Also, while we're on the topic of show notes, I'll also be adding links there to many of the things, places, and apps that I reference in this episode. So yeah, you should definitely check out the gold mine that is the show notes for this episode. Okay, let's jump in. I think it's pretty understandable that I've become known as a rather budget-conscious traveler. Probably has to do with my stint working at Ramsey Solutions and having spent two years paying off my student loan debt. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's true. I love me a good deal, and it's like a competition for me. Like I'm competing against the system or something, so I love finding a good deal. So that means that I also err on the side of being a more frugal traveler. Uh, But trust me, I've still had a lot of fun while I've traveled and will continue to have a lot of fun while I travel. And I've known when to treat myself while I've been traveling. So let's get into the money questions first. I get this question in many different shapes and forms, but it's how do you find a good or cheap flight? So there are a lot of ways to do that, and many of those I've seen covered by people who are much more experienced and knowledgeable than I am, but I'm a pretty simple girl, so I want it to be as simple in layman's terms as possible. So here's some of the least complicated ways I've found to score on cheap flights. First, I'd say um, try to always search in an incognito or private window on your browser, Um, Some people would debate this and say it doesn't matter, but I would rather err on the side of it might save me money than knowing it definitely won't save me money, if you know what I mean. And the rationale behind this is that sometimes if you search for flights on a just normal browser window, cookies from those sites can get stored. And if you don't understand how that works, Google it. But essentially what it can do is prompt increased prices the next time you search for the same and or a similar flight. So If you could potentially save by using an incognito window, I say err on the side of maybe saving some money. Another thing you can do is subscribe to Scott's Cheap Flights email list. There is a paid version that you can use to be a little more specific and tailored to your travel desires, or you can just use the free version, which is what I use. It will give you wanderlust every day of your life, (laughs) but they send some of the best flight deals from different U.S. and Canadian cities to destinations all around the world, and obviously those flights also work the opposite direction. So um, they even include lowest prices available, when you should book, how long they think those deals will last. It's just a really great free resource for cheap flight alerts. Another tip, use Google Flights. That's pretty much all I use. It's the easiest and best way, in my opinion, to search hundreds of flights on almost all airlines. Um, Plus, it allows you to search multiple airports at once. So this is great for both domestic and international flights. For instance, when I was searching for my flight to Europe the first time, um, I started with SFO as my departure airport and then just added nearby airports. I clicked that option for some more um, flight and price options. And in the destination box, I just typed Europe to kind of see what prices in in different big cities around Europe might look like. And then when I kind of knew like London's where I'm going to start, I just typed London. London has three or four airports. So it just finds you the best deal possible. Yeah, so Google Flights is really easy and it's free and you can even set price alerts so that if you search for a flight, you want it to notify you when prices go up or prices go down. 
they can do that too. Some other good options are things like Skyscanner or Skiplagged or Momondo. Feel free to use the one that works best for you. And then my last piece of advice with flights is don't be afraid of budget airlines. I mean, they're definitely cheaper for a reason. Um, you know, like smaller planes, there might be more fees, less amenities. But I think they're totally worth it. I travel in with the mindset that I'd rather have the money to spend in the place I'm going to than spend on the flight because I want to create the memories and experiences in those new cities not on the 10 hours I spend on the plane to get there. So there are different budget airlines for different areas of the world. I swear by Norwegian Airlines that's what I have flown to and from Europe for the last two years. I have spent less than $1,400 on two round-trip flights to London and Paris, back to San Francisco. It's a great option if Norwegian flies into a major airport in your area. Couldn't sing their praises higher. Plus, it includes meals and your bags. So, pretty good pricing in my opinion. Okay, another question I've gotten is, how should I save and plan for a small trip as a university student? Um, I should say that it actually says as a uni student, which makes me happy because that means... I'm assuming that someone from the UK or that area of the world sent this question in. So hello. <laughs> this is a good question. Um, honestly, it has me thinking I should have taken more trips when I was in college. But I think that as in all things, we prioritize what's important to us. So I'd say start saving some cash now for a future trip. So maybe that means taking on a side job while you're in school or sacrificing your weekly coffee trips or whatever works for you in your life right now. And just use, instead of using that money on those things or um, whatever, you just save it. You put it away and you hold on to it for traveling. Then you can plan a long weekend trip with your friends, which is a great option because not only does that ensure you're going to have a ton of fun because you're with your friends, but you're also going to save money by going in together on transit, lodging, meals, etc. Or I would highly encourage you to be super brave and do a solo trip. I promised you it's not as scary as you think it is, and you are going to grow as a human, but especially in your confidence, by taking a solo trip. Trust me on that one. And if that's the case, I would look into Airbnbs in the States or hostels in Europe for a less expensive lodging experience, and then also drive if possible. You're probably going to save money, particularly domestically in the States, by driving, um, just depending on how far the distance is. But I always think if I have to fly somewhere, then I probably have to rent a car since public transit isn't always the best in the United States. And it usually ends up being cheaper to just drive. So you do the math yourself. But I would say, yeah, just do what you got to do. Save some money and take some weekend trips. How do you manage your budget? What about the unexpected things that pop up? This is a really, really good question because things always pop up. So yeah, like first things first, this might be a hill I die on, <laughs> but you should not go into debt for a trip. Like I will say that for the rest of my life. You just should not go into debt for a trip. I think if you can't realistically afford one within your current means, you probably don't need to be taking one right now. It's always been my mantra and it also was my mantra when I was paying off debt. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't take trips. I did. But what I did to take the trip was I saved the money. So if I wanted to take a few days off with my roommate or do a long weekend to go visit a friend, I'd always save for it beforehand. So that meant, you know, taking on some extra odd-end jobs or reassessing my budget and deciding to eat out less or something like that so that I could save the money. Again, doesn't mean you shouldn't take trips if you have debt. I just think it means you have to be more intentional in your planning. It's not impossible. It's hard, but it's not impossible. And then about managing a budget, let's see. Um, the first thing you need to do would be to make a budget. If you want to manage it, you got to make it, um, which might seem tedious and or annoying, 
but having a plan for your money is a great way to start your trip planning process. So it was the first thing I worked on with both of my Europe trips. I needed to know how much money I would need to have saved before I could really start getting into the nitty-gritty details and bookings for the trip. And you can do this with a pen or paper, uh, which some people choose to do. I prefer to create a spreadsheet. It's really easy. I do it in Google Drive, and then I have it on my phone with me wherever I go. I can set it up to be available offline so I can be updating my budget as I travel. And then just include all of the necessary categories for spending for your holiday or your vacation. For example, a round-trip flight, um, food, lodging, other travel expenses like trains, buses, other planes, entertainment and fun, travel insurance. We'll talk more about that in a bit, but it's really important, particularly if you're going overseas, to have some travel insurance miscellaneous category, and then don't forget about your recurring bills. Um, So while you're traveling, depending on the length of that, definitely take into consideration your recurring bills back home. So your cell phone bill, your utilities, your car insurance, those things are important and you don't want to forget to budget for those while you're traveling. Placing all of your different categories into a formulated spreadsheet that show like the total numbers can really help with saving the money that you'll need. And you can adapt your budget as necessary for your trip. I just think it's a really good place to start. And while you're actively saving, you can do a few different things to keep your travel funds apart from other money, just in order to avoid spending it prematurely. Two ways to do that would be like withdrawing cash after each paycheck and just keeping it tucked away. So physically having the money or creating a separate savings account for the trip, which is what I did. I have a whole blog post on how to budget for a trip that I will link in the show notes with more information and even a model spreadsheet that you can use for budgeting for your own trips. For the unexpected things that pop up, it probably helps for me that I always had a fun category in my budget or a miscellaneous category in my budget. I've always known in the back of my mind I could pull from those if something did pop up, which things did. You know, trains got canceled that I'd already paid for and I couldn't get a refund, so I had to figure something else out. But you know, I think the other key for me was I, I just did the same thing I would do with my normal monthly budget, and that's to have an emergency fund in place. So if you're unfamiliar with what an emergency fund is, it's a savings account that is literally just for emergencies. That's all it's for, hence the name, and it should be $1,000 if you have debt, at least $1,000. It can be more. And then if you do not have debt, it should be somewhere around three to six months of your normal expenses or more if you're able to put more in. Another question is, how much does it cost to travel so frequently, and how do you afford it because you make it seem so affordable? Thank you. That is very kind of you to say, and that is a wonderful question. Um, I'll say it definitely helps that I haven't been paying rent for the last two years. I literally just made my first rent payment in two years a few weeks ago. I was actually really excited to make it. I am sure that feeling will not last, but it was very exciting at the time. So anyway, while I was traveling, I wasn't paying rent for two years because I was a digital nomad. I was moving around, staying with friends and family, or doing cheaper options like Airbnbs and hostels. P.S. Hi and thank you to all of my friends who've let me crash with you guys these last two years. Y'all are amazing. Um, But I also work remotely, which has helped me to have an income and thus save for traveling while I've been traveling. But I am definitely still a budget traveler, like I said earlier. I always look for the best deals, and then I don't eat out all the time. That's a big way to save money. It's pretty common sense. Um, But when you do that, when you eat out all the time, you spend a lot more money than you would if you decided to just make it yourself. So yeah, I do my best to kind of grocery shop and cook when possible. And then another key here is finding places to stay that offer free or really cheap breakfast. So hostels are a great option for this. To be candid, my first 
Europe trip in 2018, which was four and a half months across Europe and two weeks in Nashville on the back end, cost me about $12,000, which sounds like a lot, but it really wasn't for the amount of countries that I visited and the things that I was able to do, like rent a car in Ireland and rent a car in Nashville. For that trip, I saved for about a year. I finished paying off all my debt in December 2017, after which I filled my emergency fund, and then I began saving for that trip. While I was in Europe this time around, which I just got back three weeks ago, uh, my budget was sitting around $7,300 for four months, which is a lot less than the year before because I almost exclusively stayed with friends and family. Again, thank you guys. Um, So how do I afford it? I work and I save, which yes, means sacrificing things so that I can save for traveling. But I've continued to work remotely while traveling this last time as well. I was working 25 to 30 hours a week, which actually became uh, an interesting learning lesson. Learning lesson? Is that right? Lesson learned? You know what I mean. It was interesting because I've never had to balance traveling while working almost full-time. So last year when I traveled, I only worked eight hours a week. So going from eight hours to 30 hours was a big jump. Um, And I had to learn how to have work days versus play days while I was traveling, and then also set clear expectations for my team as to when I would be in and out of the office. And again, so much of it really just comes down to the budget. When I was planning for my first Europe trip, I had no idea what I was doing. I just started with a proposed budget on which I kind of multiplied my proposed numbers for food, lodging, and et cetera, by the amount of days I was going to be traveling, and then I just used it as a guide. Once I had a total number I was looking at, my goal was to save around that amount and adjust it as necessary. I think that the number starting was $10,000. While I travel, I have had two working budgets on Google Sheets. I have an overall budget that includes lodging, transit, food, and fun things, complete with formulas that add them all together to show what I've spent and what I have left to spend, plus my income and you know subtracting my monthly bills and everything. It's a little bit elaborate, but it's really amazing. And then I also have a food and travel budget sheet for each city that I visit, which is kind of the one I lived in on the in the day-to-day. There is a blog post that explains it much better, and I will link to that in the show notes. That is the one that also has the sample budget for you guys to use. All right, last money question. Do you have any more money tips while traveling? Yeah, let's just talk about some of the ways you can save money while you're traveling. Um, skip unnecessary flight upgrades. Choose public transportation over a taxi or Uber. Avoid banking issues by alerting your bank regarding where you'll be when and carrying a debit or credit card with no foreign transaction fees. And then watch out for currency conversion fees. If you're going to get local currency, try to get it before you head to your destination. And of course, you can also choose to visit less expensive countries, such as ones in Southeast Asia, as well as traveling in off-peak or shoulder seasons, which vary depending on your destination. There are also things you need to remember to purchase for your trip. Even if you don't want to fork over the cash, it's smart to get. So you should really prioritize purchasing travel insurance, which we will talk about in a little bit in more detail. Be sure to do your research as well on visa requirements. Some countries do require tourist visas, others don't. So check online to see what your destination's requirements are. Lastly, don't skip paying your bills while you're traveling. If that means you have to set up automatic payments or pay your bills in advance, do it. You don't want to be bogged down by an unexpected car insurance payment going through when you were hoping to go on a, I don't know, tour through the highlands or something. Other things you should remember to buy in advance are power converters, medicines you may not be able to find in other places, um, and then don't forget to make sure your passport's up to date. Otherwise, you could be facing a big old fee for expedited passport processing, and you don't want to do that. I promise. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, the next topic we're going to be talking about is traveling solo, which I obviously get asked about a lot because I traveled solo. So first question, how have you handled traveling, seeing sights, and making memories alone? Um, truthfully, I think I've done pretty well with this. Um, the thing is I don't really mind being on my own, so traveling solo hasn't been the most challenging thing in the world, but that, you know, there are always those moments that I wish I had someone to share a particular experience with, um, but I also realize how fortunate I've been to get to experience the things I have regardless of whether or not someone's been by my side. So I've been thinking a lot about this question, like a lot, And I think that knowing yourself is the most important prerequisite for traveling like this because chances are you're going to be on your own quite a bit. Um, You're definitely going to make new friends while you're traveling, but you'll also have a lot of time alone. And if that scares you in any way, I want to challenge you to go deeper into that and figure out why. Um, I'll say that I have learned so much, so much more about myself and how I've been made as I've traveled solo, as well as gone deeper in my relationship with Jesus as a result as well. And I honestly think that those things make the trips that I've taken way more than worth it. Um, I feel like my growth process was like expedited in some way because I didn't have anyone or anything consistent or familiar for the most part to fall back on while I was traveling. So I really had to dig deep into the uh, growing and healing process. And here's the thing, like loneliness is a human thing. It's not just a traveling thing. I think it can be just as lonely sitting on the coast of Italy watching a sunset as it might be sitting on the couch when you're at home. So I hope you'll always choose to be out there doing the things that um, you want to do, whether or not you're doing it by yourself. That's kind of how I like to live. I'm just going to go do the things no matter what, no matter who's with me, because I want to do them. And I know that God is with me as I do them. Have you met any cool people and how did you meet them? Yes. Okay. I have met so many amazing people traveling solo. I think that staying in hostels has been super helpful in, in making new friends, especially like other badass female travelers. I can now say that I have friends from California, New York City, Canada, England, Italy, Australia, and so many more. Um, I have found more than anything that We as humans all want to connect with others, particularly while we're traveling, so it's been super fun to explore some of the most incredibly beautiful cities around the world with new friends and just making new memories. I even, like, I still stay in touch with some of the girls that I met while I was traveling last year, and we talk every couple weeks, we keep each other updated, hopefully some of them will come visit me now that I'm in Nashville, or I can go visit them, Um, so yeah, you end up meeting a ton of people when you're traveling solo. I would easily argue you meet more new people traveling solo than you do when you travel with others. Let's talk a little bit about travel safety. I get this one a lot, particularly from other ladies out there who want to travel but are scared to do it on their own. So what are some tips on feeling and remaining safe while traveling solo, especially as a woman? Um, And the person who wrote this in specifically said that she is scared to travel by herself. So traveling by yourself, especially as a woman, can seem scary. Like, I get it. Um, I had plenty of well-meaning people express concern when I started talking about my plans to travel, you know, a few years ago. And while I appreciated it, I am here to tell you that if you feel that way, traveling solo doesn't have to be scary. It does mean, though, that you just have to be more aware and a bit more cautious. 
Some safety tips are fairly common sense, like avoiding dark, desolate areas, not telling someone you just met where you're staying, and not flashing around cash or expensive items, especially in heavily tourist-filled areas like maybe if you were in Rome near the Colosseum or something like that. But along with those, here are some of my personal tips for staying safe while traveling solo. So try to look like as much of a local as possible. I think you can do this in a number of ways, but I'd say walk confidently, look like you know where you're going, feel free to make eye contact with people on the street. It'll feel awkward, but it'll do you a world of good. And then don't wear something that screams tourist, like a money belt or a big camera or something like that. I think this will help you not stick out and um, keep you a little bit safer potentially. While you're exploring, uh, I think it's sometimes a good idea to keep your headphones on you, whether they're in your ears or not, and whether or not you actually choose to listen to something is totally up to you. But having your headphones in um, can help you avoid any, I don't know, potentially awkward conversations. And honestly, it's going to make you look like more of a local. Almost all the cities, particularly in Europe that I've gone to, Locals on public transit always have their headphones on, particularly in London. So if you want to look like a local, keep your headphones in. (laughs) Um, Keep your eyes up and off your phone. Wow, I cannot stress this one enough. Keep your eyes off your phone. I mean, you should definitely know where you're going. So like take a peek at Google Maps before you head down the street um, so you know which direction you're heading. But don't be so focused on your phone that you miss what's happening around you. Not only can this make someone an easier target, but it keeps you distracted and less able to potentially defend yourself if anything were to happen. And lastly, try to always be aware of your surroundings. Doesn't mean you need to be on hyper alert all the time. Just make a mental note of what's going on around you and make decisions from there. So if something feels off, like know yourself and trust your gut and then move forward. Ultimately, when traveling solo, remember to keep your head up, eyes open, and be as prepared as possible, but most of all, remember to have fun. This is an experience to be savored and enjoyed, so make sure you're embracing every moment. How do you stay safe while traveling alone, especially avoiding dangerous areas? Two words, common sense. (laughs) Um, It sounds simple, and that's because it is. The thing is that a bad thing, quote-unquote bad thing, can happen anytime, anywhere. So whether you're in Europe or Canada or your hometown, like, The potential for danger is present no matter where you go, and I don't think that the fear of something maybe happening is a good enough reason to not do something, especially when it comes to travel. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, (laughs) here are some of the things I try to always do. So be aware of my surroundings at all times, look like I know where I'm going, aka not looking at my phone all the time, and looking people in the eye. I know from a few self-defense courses that I've taken that things these things are some of the most important preventative measures a woman can take whether or not she's traveling, so you can keep it in mind in your day-to-day as well. I also try to rarely be on my own late at night, but if I am, I walk on well-lit streets and I keep my head up with my resting bee face on, if you know what I mean. Um, And lastly, I always have this little self-defense keychain that I'll link in the show notes. It looks like a cat. It's really cute. I've never had to use it, thank God, but I keep it in my hand anytime I feel uncomfortable, which honestly has not been very often. What about travel insurance? Is it necessary? What's the purpose? What did you get and was it worth it? Okay, let's talk about it. For the peace of mind alone, 
yes, I think my travel insurance options were worth it. I spent maybe three to $350 for each of the big trips I've taken over the last two years. And while I didn't ever end up needing to use it, which I'm grateful for, um, it was good to know that it was there in case anything big did happen. So I went with a company called World Nomads, and my coverage included trip interruptions, illness, lost bags, stolen items, um, major medical issues, even death. That's morbid, I know. For the peace of mind, knowing that those things would be covered, I thought it was worth it. And um, also, like if you're traveling, you should look into if the places you're going to require travel insurance, because some do. So look into it, do your research. I think it's a great option. All right, next category, transit and lodging. Did you rent a car or travel in other ways on your trips through Europe? Truthfully, almost all of my transportation has been determined by the price because, again, I'm a budget traveler. So that means most of it has been bus and train travel getting between cities. I actually only have rented a car abroad in Ireland for the freedom of being able to see as much as possible. Um, It's really, really beautiful in Ireland. And some of the places that I wanted to go to, you just couldn't really get to by public transit. I'll say it is very pricey um, because a lot of Europe, particularly in the UK and Ireland, drive manuals or or stick shift cars. But your girl here is not confident driving a manual on the other side of the road and the other side of the car. And they charge like almost double for automatic cars, but retrospect, totally worth it. I would not have traded my experience renting a car for anything. So yes, I've rented a car, but only in Ireland. How did you figure out the best modes of transportation? I almost always searched for transit on RomeToRio.com um, or on the Rome to Rio app. I'll link it in the show notes. They both operate, um, yeah, online and in an app, but it's easy to search every mode of transportation. So bus, train, plane, ship, everything. And more often than not, I booked what was cheapest or what made the most sense. Usually meant a bus or a train. Um, they always, almost always worked out. And um, another amazingly cheap and great option in Europe is something called Blah Blah Car. It's an app and it's a ride sharing service. So I used it in France when transit strikes were happening and I had a great experience going from, where did I go from? Marseille to Nice. It was great. How did you decide where to stay, a hotel, hostel, Airbnb? Uh, First things first, I searched for hostels first. That was a lot of firsts in that sentence. Uh, But yeah, I searched hostel world to start. Um, My biggest advice is if you choose to do hostels, read all of the reviews. Because people are very honest, and I'm a little bit picky about my experience. Like, I almost always opt for a female-only room. I'm not much of a partier. I mean, I'm almost 30. I did one pub crawl in Lisbon last year and had one late night in Sorrento and felt terrible afterward. So I wanted to find hostels that were more geared toward my style of traveling. So when I couldn't find that or when prices seemed too high or if hostel options were few and far between, I went with Airbnb. And truthfully, I looked into Airbnb frequently just to compare prices and amenities anyway. Um, I'm also an introvert, so I made sure to include a few Airbnbs in between long hostel stays so that I had some time to myself. As for location, I tried to choose areas that were safe and close to my incoming and outgoing transportation, which was sometimes a gamble, considering spots around public transit can sometimes be a little sketchy, but I tried to keep everything within a 20 to 30 minute walking distance so that I could walk with my luggage or at least hop on a metro or bus to get to my lodging. And then I would either walk to the places I wanted to see or use public transit. Europe is amazing for their public transit, so it's really not too hard to get around regardless of where you're staying. 
Also, my biggest piece of advice is to have zero shame about asking people you know or even friends of friends if you can stay with them. I've found the more I shared about my trips, the more connections I made and was able to stay with locals in different cities like London, Wiltshire, Munich, Amsterdam, Ireland, even Paris. Oftentimes, people in the places you're heading to love to have friends or visitors come stay with them or even just to show them around their city. So I'd recommend just being willing to share your plans with others and ask if you can stay with them or their friends or whatever. The worst thing that could happen is they say no. And if that's the case, still ask if they want to meet up while you're in town and then find another place to stay. It's not that hard. Um, Also, I'd recommend just giving your hosts a small gift of some kind whether it's a small trinket from your hometown, a dinner out, or even a gift of your talent, like I did a couple of photography sessions, to say thank you to some of my hosts. My personal opinion on lodging while traveling is that you shouldn't need to spend a ton of money here because the thing you're really going to want to spend money on are the experiences. And the truth is that you're probably only going to spend a fraction of your time where you're sleeping versus out and about in the city you're exploring. So keep that in mind. But also, if you want to treat yourself and spend a night or two in a swanky hotel in the middle of Paris, you do you. Can you talk about hostels? People keep making them sound dangerous. This one makes me laugh out loud um, because I know this feeling all too well, but honestly, hostels are really not scary. Just do your research, like I said before, read all the reviews, look into the neighborhoods, Google search the hell out of a place before you make a reservation, because most of the time they're clean, they offer good enough Wi-Fi, you'll get to meet other travelers from all over the world. It's really just an amazing option for solo travelers and travelers who want to meet other people and get local recommendations and even save some money. Like One of my best stories is I stayed at a hostel in Sorrento, Italy, and that was where I decided I was going to go to Capri, which is the island off of Sorrento, and I was going to take the ferry over and just explore for the day, but the man who worked at the hotel that I was talking to about it said, no, 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 you want to do a private boat tour, you're going to have a way better experience and only spend a little bit more money, and so I said, great, which one do you recommend? He told me about one, they booked it for me, and it was the best thing I did on that trip that I had not planned for in advance. So, Hostels and hotels are great for that as well. How do you get from place to place when you don't speak the language? Okay, generally, I was in, I mean, I was in Europe, so it's not like I was somewhere super remote or anything like that, but I generally never had an issue with language barriers while I was traveling, but I did do one thing that really helped me. I created a spreadsheet, yes, another spreadsheet, with common phrases in each of the languages of the countries I was visiting just to help me get a little more familiar with those languages to be able to say things like hello my name is how are you yeah and it was I found it to be really helpful but most of the time I did find that most people spoke good enough English for us to communicate Uh, another thing is use google maps google maps works everywhere it's amazing I don't know how people traveled without google maps my grandma did in the 90s and she is a rock star but yeah google maps is like hands down the best so make sure you have it on your phone so um, whether you have data or you download offline maps it will do you wonders in getting around it's pretty much all that I use what apps are you using let's sum it up really quickly okay transit google maps google maps google maps Rome to Rio blah blah car and Flixbus which is a really um, cheap but great bus transit system in Europe. For lodging, Airbnb and Hostel World. For budgeting, Google Sheets for my spreadsheets, X currency to look at the currency conversion rates. And then for language and journaling, I did Google Translate and Google Docs. All right, next category. Miscellaneous. So here we go, a smorgasbord of questions. What about long-term travel? How can you best do the tourist thing, but also, quote-unquote, live like a local? This is a fabulous question. 
I think that regardless of the length of your trip, you have to decide what is most important to you. While I have been traveling, I definitely wanted to do some of the tourist things, like visit, I don't know, the Eiffel Tower. But I also wanted to live like as much of a local as I possibly could. So I always ask the hostel staff or my Airbnb host for personal recommendations of places to go for food or coffee, as well as some of the coolest areas of their city to explore. I've also loved taking advantage of free walking tours in some of the cities I've been in because you get a feel for the history of the city and the different neighborhoods, which helped me to kind of know where I wanted to explore more on my own. And then spending more time in places definitely aids in the feeling like a local thing, i.e., being in London for a month. I felt like I was really living life while I was in London. (laughs) How do you pack for a long-term trip? Okay, also laughing out loud at this one because confession, my first year up trip, I packed with a spreadsheet. It was the most type A thing I've probably ever done, but this last trip I just did, I didn't do anything like that, and it ended up being a huge mistake. I remember opening my bag when I landed at my flat in Paris, and I thought, oh, hell, what did I do? Like, I didn't pack well at all and found that I needed to buy a few more extra clothing items on that trip. So I would recommend making a list before packing. It doesn't need to be super extensive, but try and take into consideration where you're going. Are there any clothing guidelines? Um, The season that you're going in, the typical weather you'll be encountering, and the activities you're planning to do. Preparing ahead for this um, really can save you both time and headaches in the future trust me. Um, And not only will you have better stuff and probably the right things, but your bag will be lighter because you will have planned ahead. I just need you to take my word on this one because I did not do this last time. And then remember, in most cases, you can always run to the store if you really need to pick something up and make sure you pick the right kind of bag to travel with as well. When I was doing the first Europe trip, I debated, you know, a proper suitcase versus a backpacking bag. And I ended up going with an away suitcase. It was the best decision I've ever made. I ended up living out of that suitcase for something like 16 months, and it is the best. I'm really glad not to be living out of it right now. It is stored in the recesses, deep spaces of my closet, and I don't really want to see it for a little bit, but it was a godsend. I will link to it in the show notes because I have a link where you can save $20 if you yourself would like to look at getting an away bag. This is not sponsored at all. I just really love my away bag. It was an investment and it was worth every single penny. Um, When it comes to the practical stuff, like actually getting your stuff into a bag, I prefer to roll them, and I also use packing cubes. They're amazing. Um, And then always just kind of consider what things you might not need to pack that might be available to you where you're staying, like a hair dryer, toiletries, etc. And then I would just say my biggest piece of advice with packing is like, Be realistic and maybe even be minimalistic if you can. Do you really need like four pairs of shoes for a four-day trip? Things like that. Just be intentional in your packing. Choose items you can mix and match because less might really be more when it comes to packing for a trip, whether it's short or long-term. And it might free up some of your mental and emotional space, giving you some more space for experiences and memories and also maybe a few souvenirs. How did you decide what was important to see and do versus what was missable or skippable? This is a really good question. Um, There are literally so many things you can do and see in each new place you go to, which is super overwhelming. It's great, but it's also overwhelming. I mean, last year alone, I visited over 35 European cities. 
35 cities. If I tried to do all of the things that were available to me in that city, my budget would have been shot like real early and my sanity would probably be gone as well. So I had to prioritize the things that I felt were must-dos. So I tried to do as many of free things as possible. For example, in London, most museums are free. Some other free things are Park Well in Barcelona uh, the Trevi Fountain in Rome, St. Peter's Basilica. Like, there's just so many, so many great things that you can do for free. Just do a little bit of research. I also search for the cheapest ways to do things, like opting for a three-day metro pass and then just using the heck out of it or getting to an attraction really early to um, save money over booking it online. I've definitely skipped some things that others would have thought was a tragedy that I didn't see, like the Vatican or the Duomo in Florence. But I'm constantly reminding myself that those things will always be there and that I can always go back. I think that's an important balance I've learned in my travels, knowing when to slow down and give myself permission to not do or see all the things while still trying to soak up as much of the culture in each city as I can. What about traveling restrictions? Every part of the world has their own regulations for tourists, so be sure to do your research before embarking on a big trip, even a short trip. Like, just look into it. Like, for example, in the UK, tourists are allowed to be there for up to six months without a visa, whereas the rest of the Schengen area, which is the, like, majority of Central Europe, only allows tourists to travel for 90 days in a 180-day period. And it's also a good idea, though not always necessary, to have proof of a return flight and bank funds when going abroad. In my case, um, the first trip, they did ask for some of those things. The second trip, they didn't ask for any of it. So I'll leave that up to you. Um, Also look into if you are going to rent a car abroad, whether or not you need an international driving permit. But I would say, yeah, definitely do your research before you go somewhere like that. How do you go with the flow while traveling? (laughs) You have to be willing to go with the flow on a trip especially a big trip, because things will never go exactly the way you want or have planned for them to. I'm a planner by nature, but traveling the way that I did these last two years really taught me the importance and the freedom that come along with flexibility and going with the flow. Um, I had more than a few transportation hiccups. Hello, French transit strikes. (laughs) But it was in those moments I had to remind myself like there wasn't really a lot that I could do except figure out a new alternative. There wasn't really the time or space to quote unquote freak out. So I just had to make the best of my situation. I've also, while traveling, like woken up in the morning and thought, I don't really have a plan for today. And so I would just kind of explore the city and let things happen. And those ended up being some of my favorite days that I had. I'm going to go ahead and say to through the traveling that I've done, I have become a lot more flexible. I go with the flow a lot more often. I would even argue I've become more spontaneous, which trust me is a miracle because like I said before, I used to be very type A, a little bit of a control freak. And now I just kind of let things happen. And I will go ahead and say that like that has actually made my relationship with Jesus and my faith in who he is and who he says I am a lot more beautiful, learning to kind of go with the flow and be flexible and moldable and adaptable. So I'd say like if there are ways that you can work on learning how to go with the flow and be more flexible now, do it because it will do you a world of good whether or not you're traveling, just in life. What are the most comfortable shoes to wear while exploring around big cities? Um, last year, I honestly wore my Converse like almost the entire time. I had previously read that like you shouldn't because they're not comfortable, but mine were comfortable. This last time, I ended up getting a new pair of shoes 
because my Converse were hurting my feet, which is really interesting. So I got a different pair of shoes while I was traveling. And then sometimes I would wear sandals if I knew I wasn't going to walk too much because hello, it's summer, it's hot. But I think you know your feet and you know what's comfortable on you on a daily basis. Maybe put on the shoes you're thinking about bringing and go, you know, walk in the afternoon or something. See if they're comfortable. How do they feel? You'll get a good feeling for what kind of shoes you should bring on your trip. And just remember, you can always pick up a new pair of shoes like I did if you really need to. And last category, what are some of my favorites? So what are the favorite cities or places you visited? Honestly, there are so many. I loved Italy, especially Cinque Terre and Rome. They're very different vibes, but both very beautiful in their own ways. I also did a day trip, like I mentioned earlier, and that boat tour around Capri. It was a huge highlight of my last two years of traveling. I loved Croatia, Dubrovnik in particular. I'd go back to explore more of that country in a heartbeat. It's amazing. The French Riviera, especially Nice, was incredible. And so were um, Strasbourg and Colmar in the Alsace region of France. Scotland is spectacular. But hands down, my favorite of all time has been Ireland. All of it, like the whole thing. The Republic, Northern Ireland, the whole island. The Emerald Isle of my dreams. I love it. So put it on your list right now. I loved the west coast of Ireland, especially Connemara National Park and most places along the wild Atlantic Way, as well as Northern Ireland, which has a very special place in my heart. What has been your favorite or most memorable experience abroad? Well, meeting so many people has been a huge highlight. I still stay in touch with a lot of them, which is wonderful. My sailing trip around Capri was great. It was spontaneous and amazing. Like, I'm never going to forget it, and I made some amazing friends on that as well. Um, Causing a rental car to break down in Ireland um, was definitely memorable, and a story that is really, really fun to share now, but was definitely not fun at the time. (laughs) There have been just so many things that have happened while traveling. It's hard to pick. Um, I also love that during this last trip, my friend Caitlin, who has been on the podcast, came to join me for a road trip around the west and south of Ireland, and we had a blast. We crammed a ton into six days. We saw so many beautiful places, ate amazing food, and had the most epic driving playlist of all time. Uh, We also, on that trip, which is a memorable experience, got stuck on Slayhead Drive, which is a winding coastal route near Dingle, where we literally faced off with a tour bus on a one-way road. Memorable for sure. What has been your biggest mishap? Uh, Yeah, see, causing a rental car to break down in Ireland. Um, Also, on my first Europe trip, I had a 27-hour travel experience getting from Sorrento, Italy to Dubrovnik, Croatia. It was awful. I, I will not front. It was terrible. But I ended up loving Dubrovnik so much, it almost felt worth it in the end. <laughs> if you could write a letter to yourself before you started traveling, what advice would you give to yourself about your trips? Um, this is a really great question, to which I think I would say three things. First, leave room for flexibility. There will be times you're going to find out quickly if you love a city or not, and you might want to spend more or less time there. Second, don't be too hard on yourself when you realize you're tired and need a break. It is 100% okay to have a slow morning, take a nap, watch a movie on Netflix instead of going out if that means recharging your batteries. Know what your soul is in need of, do that, and then get back to exploring. And third, have the time of your life. Try to live as much in the present as humanly possible. Be open to new people and experiences and say yes to the things that will give you the best stories to take home with you. 
All right, and then one person sent in this question that I just thought was a great way to wrap out this episode. So what has surprised you most about your traveling journey? Well, there are a lot, but a few things have surprised me while traveling these last two years. First, humanity. I think that especially if we never leave our own countries, we can think that people in other countries are so very different from us or that some place is better than another or more quote-unquote blessed than another. But really, I've learned that we're all so much more similar than we are different. We are all searching for meaning and beauty in a world that often feels chaotic and we're hungry to see and do more with our lives. And we want to both try to understand and challenge ourselves and others in our opinions and beliefs. I've learned that humanity is so beautiful and that we're all in this together fighting the same fight. Another thing that surprised me is generosity. I've learned that being generous doesn't always mean giving money, which like, duh, but um, also that it can be learned. I've notoriously, at least notoriously to myself, been a more selfish than generous human, but in witnessing and receiving such generosity from friends and family these last few years, I've realized how much more I want to live like that. And the third thing that surprised me most about my traveling journey, myself. I've learned that I am so much stronger than I've previously given myself credit for um, and that I'm capable of doing hard and scary things. I've also grown in some really big and surprising ways, like in my ability to go with the flow and be spontaneous, um, as well as in my confidence as a woman and as a human, and in being able to recognize what I truly desire and what is most important in this life. It's been the most beautiful journey, one that I don't see coming to an end anytime soon. I'll definitely still be traveling because even though I've landed in Nashville for a bit, traveling's always going to be a priority to me. All right, guys, I think that's it. Thank you all so much for sending in these questions. They've been amazing. And I hope that you have found my answers to be helpful as you think about and start to plan your own travels. Know that you can always send me a DM or an email for more travel tips and be sure to check out my blog posts and many of the things that I've referenced in this episode in the show notes. You guys are amazing. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Wild Hearts with Janine and this one will be with my friend Chelsea Brinkley who is a fellow digital nomad. I've known Chelsea for God, so many years. We used to work at Ramsey together. She left to pursue her dream of being a digital nomad a few months before I did. Her and her husband live in Denver. We both work remotely. So we are going to be talking a lot about what it looks like to work remotely, what it looks like to keep traveling, but also have a home base. And it is going to be a gold mine. So we'll see you in two weeks, y'all. But until then, keep dreaming, seeking, and stepping out in faith. Bye.